Knoxville Tower, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, taxi via Alpha Taxiway. No delay, wind 2004, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, clear for takeoff, traffic 3 mile final. Read back correct, tower for taxi, have a good flight. Welcome to From the Runway Up. I'm Becky. And I'm Caitlin. And we work in the Public Relations Department at McGee Tyson Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. We understand that going behind the scenes in an airport these days isn't as easy as it used to be. So that's where this podcast comes in. Each episode, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look of current events at our airport and in the aviation industry as a whole. So fasten your safety belts and join us on this aviation adventure. Hello from the Runway Up listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Today we are going to talk about something that is extremely important to aviation and that is airport security. Yes, we're going to have Scott Broyles with the National Safe Skies Alliance join us. They are a nonprofit organization that works with airports, government, and private industry to maintain a safe and effective airport security system around the U.S. They were founded in 1997, and they are really a third-party independent group that does testing of airport technologies for security and determines whether they should be put in airports or not. Well, and it's so interesting. You said that they do nationwide work and they're actually headquartered here in East Tennessee. Yeah, they're actually at McGee Tyson Airport. So they're one of the tenants that works with us here at our facility. So Scott, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Can you start just by introducing yourself to our listeners and telling them a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Scott Broyles and I'm the president and CEO of National Safe Skies Alliance. I'm kind of a Aviation kid at heart. My father was hired in 1957 with Capital Airlines, which eventually became United. I started my career in 1985 with Southern Airways, which became Republic Airlines, which became Northwest Airlines, which eventually became Delta Delta Airlines through a long (laughs) series of mergers. Spent 11 years there and then went over to airport management in Memphis, became the vice president of the airport in Chattanooga, and then ultimately here to Safe Skies in beautiful Knoxville. Thank you, guys. I know there's not a lot of podcasts in the country, especially at airports, um, that are doing what you guys are doing, and I think the, the listeners find that of great benefit. And secondly, thank you for the Aviation Academy. been fortunate enough to participate in that and share our story with the, the folks in the Academy, and I see that thing growing every year, and so kudos to you. You've mm-hmm. even had to double up on years where yes. you put on more than one class, so congratulations uh, yes. on that. I've had the opportunity to, to spend time at, at, at a lot of airports, and in my now going on 35 years of being in aviation, been to a lot of airports and worked at a few airports, and there are none better than this one. I can promise you that, and not only from the way that you guys handle this as a team and the way you run the airport, but the way the airport looks. This airport is as beautiful and clean as any airport. And so I know firsthand, having been the vice president of operations at an airport, how difficult that can be. And so kudos to you and the staff that does that work day in and day out. And kudos, I I think Patrick is going to be a fantastic CEO for you guys. Kudos to him. He's a local boy, and I think he has picked up the legacy of Bill Marison, and that's a huge... That's a huge step to take. Bill is a fantastic CEO and and friend of ours. He was a founding member of Safe Skies. Kudos to Bill, to the way he's run this airport, to the things that you guys are doing. Congratulations to Patrick. He's going to be a great CEO. He's inherited a, a fantastic staff. So today, our podcast is about airport security, and who knows that better than the National Safe Skies Alliance and your organization. So can you tell me a little bit about the organization and its history and its impact on airport security? 
Sure. Go back to the late 90s. A couple of scientists from Oak Ridge National Lab had some interesting ideas about evaluating technology for use in security at airports, specifically x-ray systems. And so they came to Bill Marison, president of the airport at the time, and ultimately to a fellow named Tom Jensen, who was chairman of the board, and said, we've got some ideas about evaluating technologies for use in aviation, and we just want to talk with you about that. Ultimately, they got Congressman Jimmy Duncan involved in this. At the time, Congressman Duncan was, I believe, chair of the aviation subcommittee in the House of Representatives. And so he was able to get just a little bit of funding set aside to evaluate some x-ray systems on behalf of the FAA. The FAA at that time was considering the procurement of about $20 million worth of equipment. So it was an important and fortuitous time to evaluate those systems. These scientists did that, and ultimately those evaluations resulted in the cancellation of a $20 million order. And so Safe Skies was then sort of born because Tom Jensen took that idea and said, what do we need to do to continue this process? Because it's important. Congressman Duncan agreed with that. And so they were able just to get a little bit of ad hoc funding from the FAA, who I'll remind you was in charge of security at the time. That was well before 9-11 and DHS and TSA. And so he was able to squirrel away just a little bit of funding for them that sustained for a couple of years. And in 2001, National Safe Skies Alliance was then alive and well as a nonprofit, member-driven for the public good. And so he created some legislation that allowed us then to go forward with a set amount of funding to evaluate security systems on behalf of the FAA and ultimately for airport operators. That was the beginning, and a lot has changed since 1997 and those initial tests. We find ourselves more frequently involved in supporting airport operators rather than the federal government. For the listeners, those of you who think of security holistically, I'll ask you to separate that in your mind and say, What is TSA doing for the travelers at the checkpoint? And then what is the airport operator responsible for? There are lots of federal regulations that govern both, but we at Safe Skies focus more on the airport operator's requirements and help them use technology to meet those or exceed those. So that was sort of where we're at now. Well, and that can be a lot of things. Examples of that would be perimeter fencing. It could be runway issues or lighting, how to protect people, not just in the terminal building. So what are some good examples, Scott, of what you have looked at? Early on, we did everything from ways to protect aircraft that are remaining overnight at airports so that they can't be messed with. And all of the things that you just described with regard to perimeter security, all those federal regulations that govern that, all of the access control systems that airports use based on federal requirements to know who is coming and going from the airport, all of the employees, the vendors, the pilots, the flight attendants, all of those who may gain access through a door at an airport. There's lots of federal requirements set on governing those. So it's interesting now that we've come full circle in that airport operators at an increasing rate, though not mandated at this point, are screening employees. And so there are screening checkpoints at lots of airports. And we have helped lots of very large airports understand what systems might work for them in terms of screening employees and how to go about doing that. Now, screening means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So when we talk about screening from an airport operator or an air carrier standpoint, there's a couple of things that they're really interested in and the ways that they do it are much different than what you might see at a TSA checkpoint. 
So screening all the way around, it could be the people, it could be the facility, it could be a lot of things. And so Safe Skies started out as a test bed organization and has evolved in its mission to a research-based organization. So can you talk about how that transpired? Yeah, one of the really cool things about McGee-Tyson Airport is we have worked with you folks to establish an operational test bed. And so we have several acres on the airport property that we can evaluate systems. And we do about nine systems simultaneously. And those are cutting-edge, state-of-the-art systems that are being considered by airports, not only in the U.S., but around the world. We have multiple fence lines, multiple ways of gathering data on those. That's the first thing that's really, really cool about McGee-Tyson Airport and one of the different things that we do. But moreover, where we find ourselves working across the country is with systems that airports might want to consider. So let's say uh, San Jose International Airport there was a young man named Yaya Abdi who got on an airplane and into the wheel well, you may remember, a few years ago. Ended up flying to Hawaii. He survived it, surprisingly. Yeah. But it exposed San Jose and perimeter security in a way that was not only embarrassing, but downright perhaps dangerous. And so they called us. We spent the better part of a year and a half there evaluating technologies on their behalf at their airport so that they could really understand what systems might work best for them. So look at it like this. If you want to see safe skies at the, at the macro level, think about buying a car. So you're going to go out and you see all these commercials on TV and you see everything in the newspaper and everything online that says, hey, buy my car. It's the best one. Well, how do you know it's the best one? How do I know it's the best one for me? Is it legroom? I'm sort of a taller guy. Is it leg room? What's most important to me and what's going to most, what's going to best um, benefit me and my family as it relates to a car. It can't possibly be true that every single car is the one for me in the way that they're saying it. So Safe Skies, in the same way, works with airports who have had people come to them and say, wow, you've got perimeter security concerns and we've got the system for you. Or you've got access control concerns or camera concerns or biometric concerns and we've got the answer for you. That can't possibly be true. There's an old saying, if you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. They're yeah. all different. And so that can't possibly be true in the same way that it can't possibly be true that every car is for me. Mm -hmm. So an airport calls us and says, hey, we are considering the procurement of, let's say, a biometric technology for access control. But we've had a dozen vendors tell us theirs is the best and we just don't know what else to do. Can you come to our airport and evaluate each of those technologies independently and give us a report without fear or favor? We don't stack those reports and say, this one's the best, this one's the worst. We simply give the information to them so that they can decide, based on their own performance criteria, what's important. So it may be nighttime performance, it may be outdoor performance in the same way that I'm more concerned about seats and give me enough room to stretch my legs out than I am about the sound of the radio. So it's up to them to decide which of those performance criteria are most important. And so in that regard, they give us information. We evaluate each of those systems through thousands of iterations and then give them that data so that they can make a decision. That is why we are of great benefit to the federal government. And those are the folks that fund us to do this work because we're an independent third party who doesn't really care who wins and loses. What I think is so interesting, too, is that you are doing that work, like you said, nationwide and your headquarters is here. It sure is. And there's a couple of programs that we operate out of our headquarters here. We have 20 folks on staff, and that sounds like a really small group, but boy, are they doing a lot of work. And small doing but it, mighty. They're doing it all over, the, all over the country. We also have an applied research program that we started a few years ago. And this is incredibly interesting 
because there are perplexing issues that face the aviation industry that we believe we can help make headway in addressing. So, for instance, one of the great concerns that folks have is insider threat. Insider threat exists in a lot of places, and active shooters, as we all know and and hear about on a much too regular basis, are something that we have to to deal with. And so airports aren't immune to that. Airports are gathering places, in many cases, in in the same way that a mall or a school or a church. What are the ways that we can mitigate those threats here? What can we do? Who are the best minds in the world to do the work? Who can really do a great job of assessing that? And so we created a program where we manage it, but we contract that work out to the better minds. So, for instance, if there's an issue, we call them problem statements. Once a year, we have a group called the Oversight Committee that will evaluate problem statements that have been provided to us by airports or individuals across the country or around the world. And they say, these are the things we think ought to be studied. These are important and pressing problems to us. So, first of all, we allow that Oversight Committee of ours, the group we put together, to evaluate each of those. We'll get them some information. We'll get to sort of a breakdown on what the issues are. And then that oversight committee will decide which of those gets funded and which move forward. On that oversight committee, there are some of the best minds. Boy, these, these folks are so gracious to us to help us do it. It's got airports. It's got associations, AAAE, ACI, ACC, A4A. So I know that the listeners may say, well, well you're just throwing a bunch of letters, letters at us. But <laughs> trust me what they are. Industry uh, people. They're industry people <laughs> and associations representing the whole. And so we want to better understand if it's possible. We can't be around all 457 airports, have them present at the table. But what we can do is include people who are their representatives. And so these associations do, in effect, do that for them. And those folks on the oversight committee make selections and how much funding we're going to allocate to that. Based on those answers, Jessica Grizzle, who does a fantastic job of managing our program, will put together a project panel, and they will scope that project, and they'll create an RFP. And that RFP will go out on the street and be publicly advertised. The bids will come in. The same panel who wrote the RFP, who are industry professionals, will come back together again and decide who the successful bidder will be. That work then is contracted by us to them, to that third-party vendor, to do those studies. And oftentimes what we see is the successful bidder is one that has a beautiful array of people who are incredibly smart at what they do. And so it's not a single company that gets it using their own employees, but they will go out and create a team to answer these questions. And so we get that information and we give it at no cost to all of the airports in the country. And if it's not sensitive or classified in any way, then we'll share that publicly. They're on our website. So we want to share as much of that information as we possibly can. Scott, how often do the things that you study end up in the processes that passengers or guests go through in airports? I know when Safe Skies started, there was a lot of talk right after 9-11 that there were lots of companies trying to create new security measures to go into airport to better prepare passengers and protect them as they were traveling. But how do you know which one was the right one or not? So that Safe Skies really filled that niche in helping to determine what the passenger experience and security look like. So how does that do? now? Great question. Early on, when we were evaluating systems on behalf of the FAA and early in TSA's existence at checkpoints, a great example would be what we called CAT BPSS, which was Credential Authentication Technology Boarding Pass Screening System. Oh, it's just a short little name. Yeah. (laughs) And so early iterations of that technology, and there were multiple technologies that claimed their ability to do this, um, were not successful. And we evaluated those on behalf of 
the government and found that they were not, and so they took them back. And if you and you've heard recently, perhaps, of um, TSA's intent to roll these types of systems out at checkpoints, biometric systems at checkpoints, where they can you you, you might walk up, might be the next generation of of um, increasing throughput at the the checkpoint is that you'll biometrically authenticate using your fingers. Or perhaps in, in some cases it may be the eyes. And I'm not suggesting TSA is moving one way or another with regard to what type of biometric. But I know that there's great interest in there. And the technology has now evolved and it's taken a better part of a decade or more to do that. But that technology is now finding its way ultimately to airports. Had we done that, had those evaluations not taken place by us or by someone, I'm not suggesting we're the only people in the world that, although we're the only company in the world that does this, I'm not suggesting we're the only one smart enough to do that. I'm more humble than that. But... Had we not done that early work, then those systems could have been rolled out and been failures, either authentication failures, which means the wrong people could get through, or ultimately that they would break down and throughput would decrease at the checkpoint as a result of that slowing down the passenger flow. And then I think you said there were two programs. Yeah, ASSIST is one. I know that we're back into acronyms again. I apologize, but that's kind of the aviation world, right? So ASSIST is one, and that's the operational test and evaluation program that we have where we go to airports that call upon us to evaluate systems independently on their behalf, giving them the results and sharing those same results with every other airport in the country. And that work is all done at no cost to the airports, funded by the FAA to do that. So the other one is PARIS, or what we call the Program for Applied Research and Airport Security, and that is the applied research component of that. How many problem statements do you get? How many are submitted? Depends, and it's growing. And we'll try to narrow them down. But it's it's a good number. And sometimes they're just ideas that are before their time. What we try to find is those things that are most pressing that might benefit the most airports. Mm-hmm. That is research that is doable. So it can be so far-fetched and so difficult that it's just and I mean this very respectfully, not worth investing the money in because we can't come to a solution that's going to benefit the air travelers and the airports. I'll do some light reading and go on your website and look at those findings. You can. That's so they are there, and I think, I think you'd find them interesting. If you're an aviation buff at all, yeah. there's some really great in-detail reports. Well, uh, even research. if I'm not into aviation, I'm so glad to hear that people are looking at the future of airport security and technology because just as – Airports travel is changing in the types of aircraft that the airlines use or the way that we transport ourselves. Who knows, maybe even hoverboards in the future. But that being the case, then as we do this, we're looking ahead and testing things before we need them. We're being proactive with airport security. Yeah, and you know, examples fall in, in, in a couple of categories with us, with us because it's either a technology evaluation or it's applied research where we're looking for the answers to difficult problems. A good example might be, and that we're looking at currently, is consolidated delivery facilities. This sounds crazy, and perhaps to, the, to a listener you say, well, what in the world, first of all, is a consolidated delivery facility? And think about this. When you're at the checkpoint and you clear through there and you go to one of the restaurants or the parody shop, do you ever stop and think, how in the world did they get all this stuff cleared and through here so that we knew that there was no threat? Those things have to be delivered in some fashion. And you have to ask yourself, can an 18-wheeler really pull up to the door and deliver all this stuff and we not know what's in there? Is it realistic to think that we can do that in a timely fashion if they have more than one stop on the truck? So consider that and think about taking all of the goods that need to be delivered into the sterile area, which is that area beyond the security checkpoint where passengers go and wait for airplanes. Can they be delivered more efficiently and effectively, more securely? And is there a safety component to that? The safety component is that if we don't have multiple vehicles out there delivering 
goods to parody shops or to Ruby Tuesdays, then we've enhanced safety because there's not as many people driving around on the ramp that may not be as sharp as we'd like for them to be because it's not their job every day to get out there and drive. They're making a delivery. So these folks go all over the community and then they also come here and they may have clearance to get out there. So can we, by reducing the amount of traffic, enhance safety? Sure. Can you enhance security and efficiency? Obviously, because we're not having to work through this search at at a checkpoint before allowing them to come in. If we can get to a facility that is consolidated where all the deliveries take place at one time in one place, and then either the vendor can come pick those up or the airport operator or someone can take them and deliver them on behalf of the vendor now. So that is one of the things that is coming around that we think needs to be researched in detail to know what the benefits are and what the concerns are associated with that. Understanding, again, that all airports are a little bit different. And the size and scope of that operation is different, Oh, my goodness, yeah. So that's kind of futuristic. What other things do you see as things that we are going to be seeing or tackling as an industry in this area over the coming years? I think that there are a couple of threats that are going to be present for a good while. And I'll cover on those just a little bit. And there are things that concern us the most and things that we're working on through the use of technology or through the use of applied research to address. And one that I want to bring about is active shooter. If you go back to 2017, a fellow named Esteban Santiago in Fort Lauderdale came from Alaska to Fort Lauderdale. This was a guy who had checked legally and did all the things he needed to do to check a weapon and put it in his check baggage, which goes underneath the airplane, as you know. But he did all the things he had to do to carry that. And then he gets to the airport, goes to baggage claim, picks up his bag, walks in the bathroom, loads a gun, comes out, and discharges the weapon several times. It didn't last long. I think it only lasted a couple of minutes. And was taken into custody because he ran out of ammo. He laid down at that point. So active shooter is a, is a giant concern. In this case, the individual, as we now look back in, at his history, had some mental issues. He did some time uh, in military service. I think there were some PTSD issues. He had some other issues that he was working through, and and ultimately um, he kind of shook loose there. But if we take that and we say, now what's the next iteration of that in terms of active shooter or someone doing mass casualty damage? Insider threat. So we go from active shooter now to insider threat. The best example of that was August 2018, where a fellow named Richard Russell up in Seattle decided to take Alaskan Airlines aircraft for a ride. He was a ramp employee who understood a little bit about how to move an aircraft around, position an aircraft, we call it. So without that aircraft running, he knew how to hook it up to a tow bar and to move that aircraft and do different things. He had a simulator at home, uh, the same aircraft, the 78-seater. I forget exactly who the manufacturer was of it, but it's a decent-sized propeller-driven aircraft. And so he had done some simulation work and played with that quite a bit, so he understood the basic design of the aircraft, how to get it off the ground. When he thought no one was looking, he went to a separate area at the airport, he cranked this thing up and, and ultimately took it for a ride, driving it into the ground because he frankly didn't know how to land it well. So when we think about an employee who had otherwise been such a good guy, and this was a young guy, had a lot to live for. If you look at pictures and you look at his history, you don't. it didn't make sense. And so from an insider standpoint, what do we need to be looking at? How can we guard against that? What measures can we take? Um, to, to guard against active shooters and people who just decide that now's the day to do a mass casualty thing, what clicks there. And so we're incredibly interested in that. And so we take that one more step on the insider threat realm and say there were a couple of guys in Atlanta 
was Eugene Harvey was one and Mark Henry was the other. And this was back in 2014. So this drove a whole lot of work that we see ourselves involved in and with employee screening and so forth and background checks. And these two individuals both at one time worked for Delta Airlines. One was no longer working there. The other was still doing it. The guy that was still working for Delta would give his partner a buddy pass to fly to New York. The fellow who was going to fly to New York on the buddy pass would walk in with an empty black backpack. The fellow who worked for Delta had access to the airport by going through a gate and didn't have to go through the screening checkpoint. That's not unusual. It's often the case. This guy that was still employed took a backpack full of guns, and they would meet each other in the sterile area because the fellow who was going to fly to New York had gone through with his empty backpack through the screening checkpoint. He was good. He was legally did all the things he was supposed to did do. Did TSA not think it was weird his backpack was empty? Didn't matter. Oh, it doesn't okay. matter to them. It's just a bag passing through x-ray. You know, you can have a lot of reasons why you might have That's an true. empty so they get through, they meet each other in the men's restroom, they swap backpacks, and there go the guns to uh, New York. They finally threw some folks on the opposite end in, in New York, ratted him out, just told on this guy, because the police had them in another situation, and so what do rats do? They, they start talking. So they gave a little intel, they developed the case on this, and when they caught him, I think it was in December of 2014, they caught the guy picked him up in New York. He had 18 guns with him in a backpack on the aircraft, and I think six of them were loaded. But Scott, nothing really bad happened there. It's the idea that you could possibly do this. That's where employee screening comes around. And, and I described for you earlier that employee screening is very different from passenger screening. One of the things we'd like to know, and you know, and maybe perhaps the listeners know or, or need to know, that there are incredibly detailed background checks on everyone who has access to the sterile and secure areas of an airport. So there is a good background information. And now there's a mechanism that's put in place more recently that allows you to continue to gather information if they're arrested subsequent to their completion of a background check so that you'll know. But beyond that, is there any way that we can go out and biometrically check people out on the ramp and a spot check and make sure they are who they say they are and they are where they're supposed to be? So there are handheld devices that we can now take out there and somebody working on the ramp just have them put their finger on there or swipe their card and make Mm -hmm. sure that This is the person, and this is where they're supposed to be. There's also some technology that will allow you to track the activity of badges. So when somebody swipes an access control reader to enter a certain part of the airport, if they're cleared to be there, that's fine. If they don't have access to that door, they won't have access to it because you can, by door, decide who gets access. But what you can't do is know if the person walked into another area that they weren't supposed to be in. Using the method that we've described, we can know if they are somewhere where they're not supposed to be, and you can ask those questions. You can also now gather information by time of day and shift work. So if you know what shift you're supposed to be on, what days off you have, then we can set the system up to know when you're somewhere on your day off or you're somewhere that you shouldn't have been at an hour that you weren't supposed to be there. And so all of those things put together begin to paint a picture for you about the activity of people we need to to make sure we're watching over. Sure, and it's so... The things that you are looking into now are active shooter, mm-hmm. our insider threat. Those are the big areas that you think that we have the most potential to explore through your organization and to develop the assistance airports need to be able to solve those problems. Yeah, and ultimately, um, perimeter security is a huge part of that. And airports have massive perimeters. This airport has a, a very big perimeter. But we're doing work at airports that are the busiest and the biggest in, in the country. And so... Their perimeters are unbelievably massive. 
There are airports who either can't patrol or patrol seldom certain areas, but they need to know. In fact, they're required to know by the federal government uh, if you have breaches in those areas, people are coming over, coming through, uh, whether the fences are intact and so forth. And so how is it that we can deploy technology that allows us to know that? There have been a couple of instances, not to beat up on Atlanta, they're a fantastic airport, busiest airport in the world. But we've had a couple instances more recently of people jumping the fence. And in one case, this individual who had some mental issues, thank goodness it wasn't nothing nefarious, but this particular individual who was in his underwear um, jumps the fence and he's running around out there. Their aircraft, if you've ever flown through Atlanta, you know that you're going to sit on the taxiway for a while in line waiting to go. And imagine looking out the window <laughs> over the wing and you've got a, a fellow in his underwear climbing on uh, up the engine and on top of the wing and, and knocking on your window as you're looking out of it. That's a, oh my goodness. That's a bit concerning. And then yeah. what do you do? So, you get your phone out. <laughs> you video take it. a picture of it. What else in the world would you do? What you could possibly go wrong? You put it on Instagram, wrong? Facebook, yeah, yeah, you start Twitter, and then you call 911. Start posting it everywhere, <laughs> of course. But those are of great concern to that airport and airports around the country. And so what can we do from a perimeter security standpoint? So if we kind of recap that, active shooter, insider threat, and perimeter security are things that we are most interested in, not only looking at technology to mitigate those threats, but research that will allow us to disperse crowds in airports. So one of the great things that you guys are doing here at this airport is adding a fourth lane. That's incredibly important to do, not only from a customer service standpoint, but from a threat mitigation standpoint. We want to keep the crowds as small as they can possibly be at all times and therefore doing away with the attraction to someone who may want to do harm. So for our listeners out there, they've heard all of this. They know the threats that you all are focusing on in the future. What can they do as the traveling public to help to be aware? I mean, Whenever you're traveling, what are things that you do? What can they do to improve the safety and security of airports? One of the things that travelers can do, and let me say this airport does a fantastic job of gathering information and making it easy for travelers to communicate with you and share with you their experience. I would encourage travelers, especially those who are coming and going frequently, to share with the airport what it is that they see and what they think might be improved upon and if there are concerns, to share those openly with you. Those things have a really great way of making it back to us because ultimately airports are driving the work that we do. That work is informed by the traveling public. And so when they see things and they share with you, and I know that they do, and I know you guys are really good about acting on them, when they share with you something that might be of concern to them that you say, wow, I, maybe I just didn't look at it that way. Sometimes we, when we work at a place for a super long time, we don't see everything anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't yeah. look, it, we see it differently than the, the first time user or the person who comes here even frequently might see it. And so we depend on them to share with you and ultimately then with us what it is that they see that can be improved upon. If they see an efficiency, don't dismiss that as something that because I'm, I don't work for the airport, I shouldn't have to tell them about or shouldn't share with them. You should. And those things drive the work. So I would encourage them to do that. Now, not only sharing with you guys, but if they see something, they're going through the checkpoint and they either um, see or have a question about what it is they're experiencing there with TSA, to share with TSA that concern, do so in a humane way if possible. (laughs) I recognize these guys have an incredibly difficult job, but they are better informed and their procurement ultimately of technology is sometimes dependent on the efficiency of moving passengers through. I know that there are a couple of locations where they're introducing technology to to dramatically enhance the flow of passengers. So I think that is built upon responses that passengers have shared with them. So recap, definitely share with the airport anything that they see that either is concerning them or that pleases them. 
If it's an efficient and effective way of doing it, let the airport know. If it's less effective than you think it could be, let the airport know. And so far as uh, your experience at the TSA checkpoint, definitely let them know. Don't dismiss that as something no one cares about because I assure you that they do. Well, thank you, Scott, for joining us today. We appreciate all the feedback. I just find when I'm listening to you talk about this that I just, I'm on the edge of my seat listening to hear what's next. <laughs> like you're so. least easily amused. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe. <laughs> but we appreciate you spending time with us and with our listeners today as part of today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of From the Runway Up. We hope that we gave you some behind-the-scenes access to what goes on at airports across the United States and here at McGee Tyson Airport. More importantly, show us that love and give us some ratings and reviews and let us know what you would like for us to dive into in the future. And also make sure you subscribe so that you know when our next episodes will be coming out because we have some great things planned for this next year. 